that direction. Our first passage tonight is going to be in the book of First Peter. We're going to be looking at chapter 4. So First Peter chapter 4, and we're going to be reading verse 10 first. And if you would, if you're able, would you stand with me in honor of reading God's Word? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Where he says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You may be seated. Alright guys, so what I'm going to be talking about this week, I'm getting off on a topical sermon kick. I don't know how long it will run, but it's going to go for a while apparently. We talked about perseverance during difficulty, during trouble last week. Uh, and I got to thinking this past week, uh, going throughout this weekend, uh, why we do this sort of thing. Why do we come together as a church, uh, read the Bible, listen to God's Word, try to study and understand what He wants us to know? And there are many, many reasons. Obviously, we can't hit them all tonight, but I think we can hit one important uh, reason that we do this tonight. We're going to be talking about the importance of service. Why everybody here should be serving the local church and serving the Lord. We're going to go through and we're going to talk about the obligation to do so, why God has told us we need to do this, all of the motivation that He's given us that every one of us should be serving in this church, in our community, around the world. Uh, and we're going to look at the greatest example of service that we have in Scripture. We're going to just take those one at a time. This first verse is going to be talking about our obligation to serve. Uh, we learn a couple of very important things about service in 1 Peter 4.10. We see that each one has received a gift. Everybody. Everybody has been gifted by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that every believer, every true born-again child of God is led by the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit has gifted you with something. Maybe a lot of somethings if you're a particularly gifted person. It tells us there are diversities of gifts. Many of us have different talents, different assets, different abilities that we can contribute. But it also tells us why we've been given those things. I want you to know today that the gifting of the Holy Spirit is absolutely universal. There are no exceptions. There are no believers who do not have the capacity to serve in some way that cannot help this local church body even in some way. And those gifts have been given to you for a specific purpose. You're an individual. You're different. Your gifts are different than the person sitting next to you or behind you. But you have something that you can contribute. And I'm not saying that to you as a group. I mean you as an individual. You have something that you can contribute to this church. In Scripture, the church is compared to a body that we each... Uh, you know, there may be an eye, there may be an ear, there may be a nose, but all of those things work together. They come together and they are stronger together than they are as individuals. Other people in this room have different gifts than you have. They have different strengths, different weaknesses. That doesn't necessarily just apply to somebody preaching up here. Uh, pastors, preachers, teachers, whatever the situation may be. All of us, no matter what, are to be good stewards of all that God has given to us. We are to be good managers of all of those talents, all of those abilities that He has blessed us with. Now, uh, this doesn't mean that not all people are, are equally gifted, but I want you to understand that you have something to contribute. We can't even get this message off the ground 
if you don't understand that this applies to you personally. There is something, somewhere, somehow, that you can do. All of us have a responsibility. All of us have a responsibility to serve one another, to mutually edify and build this church and make it stronger as a result. And going along kind of that same line of thinking, I want to look at one more passage real quick in 1 Samuel chapter 12. I'm going to read verse 24. 1 Samuel 12, 24. He says, Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things He has done for you. So not only are we told that we have been endowed with certain abilities that we can use to serve the church, to serve other people, to serve the needy, we've also been told that it is our responsibility, it is our obligation to serve the Lord. And now those two things really go together in a lot of ways. If you're doing the Lord's work, obviously you're going to be serving God's people. You're going to be serving the community as well. Uh, but we have an obligation to both. It's told us, it tells us here in 1 Samuel 12, 24 that we are to fear the Lord. We are to have that respect, that reverence, that awe of Him that drives us to serve Him faithfully. We're given lots of valuable information in this passage. We are told exactly how we are to serve. He gives us some, some adjectives here and says, this is how you do it. This is how you serve. We're told to serve in truth. You do so with sincerity. As we go through these passages we're going to look at later, I'm not asking you, I'm not calling you to some formal going through the motions type of actions. This is something that you do with all of your heart, with all of your soul, something that you truly do because you believe it's the right thing to do. Uh, it's not just a, a formality. It's not just going through the motions. It's not just putting on a show for other people. I believe that we can have better motivations for that in our service. We're also told how we are to serve and that we are to serve with all of our heart. This is the number one obligation that you have in your life as a believer. You are to serve the Lord with all of your heart. This is something that you should be single-mindedly devoted to. As believers, as people that are here on Wednesday night, you are examples. People look to you. When they look to you, that is what they should see. They should see somebody with all of their heart pursuing everything that God wants them to do. No half-hearted, partial efforts. Uh, we should be, like I said, single-minded in our focus, putting Him first over all things. And I think that uh, that we probably understand now we have an obligation to serve. God has told us we need to serve our church. We need to serve the Lord. But I, I want to go on and I want to give you more motivation for why exactly you should do that. And we won't have to leave this verse, actually. That's, that's kind of different. But we're going to look at the very first thing we're going to look at in 1 Samuel twelve twenty four is gratitude. If you lack motivation to serve the Lord, I believe that there are several reasons given in Scripture why you should do so. Why you should have that motivation. In this passage, Israel has been gifted. God's been good to them. He's given them a king. He's given them somebody to lead them. That doesn't mean that this doesn't apply to you as well. The first reason that you should serve the Lord is in gratitude for all of the things that He has done for you. Daily, your entire life, God has provided for all of your needs. He has protected you in times of trouble when nothing else could. He has opened up the heavens and He has blessed us in ways that are beyond imagination. 
beyond anything that we could ever deserve. The New Testament says He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ. Everything good. Everything. Everything thankworthy. Everything pure. Everything comes from Him. That gratitude for what He has done for us should motivate us to serve Him throughout our lives. Not just on Sunday morning, not just on Wednesday night. This is something that should motivate us every day. The next line of motivation I want to look at is in the book of Galatians. If you have your Bible, you can turn over to chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to be reading verses 13 and 14. And the apostle here says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And you can probably guess from that the next motivating factor that I think should motivate you to serve others is Christian love. And Paul tells us here that we have been called to freedom. And what he's talking about, you know, we're not going to go back into all of what he's talking about in Galatians. He's talking about all those Old Testament ritual type of things. Uh, he's talking about the shadows of what we have the reality of now. and A lot of this letter is telling them not to go back. It also tells us in places in Scripture that we were once in bondage to sin, that we were slaves of sin, something we needed to be set free from. He here spells out for us exactly what freedom means. Freedom is not the freedom to sin. It's not freedom to serve the flesh. That's how we often think about freedom in this modern world. Freedom is just, well, I can just do whatever I want to do with no consequences. Uh, that's not what the Bible means when it talks about freedom. We have not been set free to just do whatever we want. We have been set free for the exact opposite reason of that. You have been set free to serve one another in love. That's what Paul says right here. We do this by or through love. That is the means. How do you serve? How do you serve people? You love them. It's the motivation. Why do you serve people? Because you love them. This is something that uh, you, you hear about Christian love all the time because it just intersects in so many different areas. You, you could talk about almost any Bible topic and this will come up at some point in time. Uh, but love... Oh, no, I'm about to go back and read a line I've already read. This is something that all of us as believers must have. This is a fruit of the Spirit, something He creates in our lives. In 1 John 4, 8, the Apostle tells us, If we don't love, we do not know God, for God is love. It's not something that's optional. It's something that we must show to each other. It is essential. It is part of our witness to the world. In John 13, Jesus says that people will know that we are Christ's disciples. They will know that you are a follower of Jesus because of your love for one another. That's what Jesus says. Love is what binds us together when we're tempted to break apart. It's something that completely fulfills the law. Pure love is never sinful. Acting in love always keeps the law. Everything that we do as believers should be done in love. If we keep the great commandments in Scripture, Jesus tells us what those are, it's to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, then we should love our neighbor by doing unto others as we would have others do unto us if the tables were turned. 
We should serve them the same way that we would want them to serve us if we were the ones in need. Uh, One more line of motivation. If you'll flip a few pages over to the epistle of James, chapter 2. The next motivating factor I want to talk about is the fact that we have... or I'm sorry, the next motivating factor for us to look at today is the nature of true faith. I want you to understand what faith is and how that has to motivate us to serve one another. If you will, read chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. Verse 14, he says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. All right. So what is James talking about in James chapter 2? Well, the first thing that James is not talking about, James is not talking about salvation by faith versus salvation by works. James is talking about the difference between dead faith, fake faith, faith that does not save, and faith that does save. And he starts to lay out some of the differences in the verses that we read right here. Dead faith is a faith with no life change. It has no desire to help other people. It leads to no desire to serve God. It's a faith that says one thing with its mouth and does another thing with its actions. One of the other apostles in the book of 1 John says, Let us not love in word, but in deed and in truth. Scripture says that we have to make the best use of the time that God has given to us. And that time should not be spent just talking about doing good things. Talking about serving others. Talking is great. Teaching is fine. But when an opportunity presents itself to actually do good, we need to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We can't just be a church that talks a good game, that comes up here and tells you to love your neighbor, that tells you to take care of people, that tells you to be charitable, that tells you that we should care about Hurricane Ian in Florida. We can't just be a church that tells you those sorts of things, and then look at somebody uh, destitute and in need of food and say, peace, be warmed and be filled. He asks us a question. He says, what does that profit? You know what the implied answer is? The implied answer is nothing. It profits absolutely nothing. The words don't solve the problem. Now, there's nothing wrong with the words. The words he read right there are perfectly fine. They're good words. The thing is that those words should be accompanied by action. That person is still not warm. They're still not fed. True faith, saving faith, that's going to take you to eternal life, to heaven, is not workless. It's not something that does not change your life. It's not just a matter of nice thoughts and pretty words. True faith is life-changing. It's about following the Lord. Somebody of true faith would not do what James said right there and leave that person cold and hungry. If we were acting in true faith, we would not allow that to happen. The Bible says that if we know to do good, if there is something that we need to do and we don't do it, that is sinful. That is just as sinful as breaking one of the Ten Commandments. To know to do good and not do it is still sinful. So the nature of faith, the fact that faith must change us, the fact that faith leads to works, 
should motivate us to serve those that are needy around us. And I want to talk about one more motivating factor in the book of, or the gospel of Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, we're going to be starting in verse 34. And there's a couple of fairly long passages of Scripture that I'm going to read here, but that's what we're here for, so I'm not going to apologize for it. You know, that's just, we're going to do it anyway. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5, reading verse 34. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto eternal life. So we get a description here in these verses of judgment. Uh, There's going to come a day when every man, every woman is going to stand in front of the judge and they are going to be sentenced either to eternal blessing or to eternal fire. And that Jesus is the king and the judge that is going to make, is going to make that sentence. The final motivation to service is the effect that it's going to have on judgment day. He speaks of the great kingdom that his children are going to inherit. The great blessings that God has prepared for them. And he talks about the grounds of those blessings in verses 35 and 36. And I've got, I've got to throw this in here. I don't want to confuse anybody at home. I know that you, you've heard me say it a million times. I, Jesus is not telling them that the ones that fed the hungry and, and sheltered the homeless have earned their salvation. That's not what's going on here. But those are the people that go into salvation. You notice that? The group that he lets in are the group that fed the hungry. They sheltered the homeless. Uh, they, they took care of those that were in need. The Bible says that we will be judged by our works in several places because they are evidence of our love for God, of our faith in Christ. The, the lives of the sheep that he talks about right here are characterized by love and service to other people that are less fortunate than they are. They feed the hungry, they clothe the naked, they house the homeless. They do everything that is within their power. To help those that they can. It's not optional. It's not a suggestion. The goats, the ones that are sent to hell, lack this evidence. They don't have it. Whether they've professed faith or not, they've not done this. There will be no mistakes and there will be no excuses when this time comes. God misses nothing. And eternal life is directly connected with our service right here. He says that the sheep that he's letting in 
have done all of these things. So gratitude, love, faith, and the kingdom all together, I think, give us powerful motivation. Give us strong reason why everybody here should want to use their gifts, whatever it may be. Whether that be teaching, whether that be serving in some other capacity, whatever that may be. You should serve in your local church. You should serve in your community. You should help people. You should serve the Lord. And I want to go to this last section and read a couple of passages about the greatest example of service that we have in Scripture. And the first passage is going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Philippians 2, 1 to 11. For the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus." who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we've seen our obligation, our motivation. We're going to look at the example of service that Christ has set for us. And what makes His example so special is both the humility and the self-sacrifice that Christ embodies for His people. There's so much here we can only really look at what's directly relevant for our topic. But nothing is to be done out of strife or selfish ambition. We are not competing with each other. We are together. We're on the same team. Pastors are not competing with each other. Teachers are not competing with each other. We're not trying to find a way to exalt ourselves over those that are around us. Our mission in this life is to give glory to God, not to ourselves. We should have humility about ourselves. We don't want to be the person with the log sticking out of his eye complaining about the speck in your brother's eye. The goal is to not be that guy. We need to be charitable to other people. We need to let our concern for others uh, be greater than our own things. To love, to serve is other-focused. It's not focused on you. If we do this, all of us will benefit as a result. We need to look to the example of Christ's humility. The one who in the Gospel of John it said was with God and was God. Here in this passage, we learn, has taken a human nature. He became a man. He came down from the glory that he once had in heaven. And then he continued to humble himself all the way to the death on the cross. The creator of all things died a criminal's death. If we strive to imitate that humility, then we will have all that we need to serve. And an example of him doing this in the Gospel of John chapter 13 is when he washed the feet of the disciples. So John chapter 13, verse 4. I'm going to read this account for you. Jesus says, He rose from the supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel to which he was girded. 
Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If, you do not wash, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So we have another example here of Jesus, the Master, the Lord of all himself, has come and washed his disciples' feet. He has done the service that would typically be done by a common slave. Not only that, but the disciples are specifically instructed to follow his example. If he was willing to stoop that low, why aren't we? We have to lay aside all pride. He is telling them to serve, not to lead, but to serve one another. Uh, No work is beneath us if that work is serving God and his kingdom. No work is too bad Uh, too dirty, too awful for you to be doing. We are all called to follow his example. And I want to read one more. We're running out of time. I'm going to read one more passage real quick in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28. I'll try to keep it fairly short here. This, I think, is the greatest passage that we'll read today. This is Jesus talking again. He says, But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus tells us that to be great among the disciples won't be like being great among the Gentiles. It's not a matter of dominion or authority. The chiefest, the greatest among them will be servants. 1 Peter 5.3 tells pastors not to be lords over God's people, but to be examples to the flock. Church leaders, uh, our leaders, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place. Church leaders don't rule in that ungodly sense that he talked about right there. They still have authority. They still need to be respected. Anybody that tells you otherwise, you need to change the channel. But they serve, serve in a position of leadership. Uh, The example he points to to teach them this is the example of his own life. He didn't come with pomp and glory. He was not served by them. He was a carpenter's son who served others. He was the one doing the serving. He healed the diseases. He fed the multitudes. He taught his followers. Those were all true acts of loving service from Christ, but the greatest show of love and the greatest service was when he gave his life a ransom for many. A ransom is a price paid to set somebody free. We talked earlier about how we were once enslaved to sin. The means through which you were freed from that slavery was Christ's death on the cross. We were under a curse... But Christ has become that curse for us. He wasn't obligated to do so. He did it of his own free will. 
No act of service has ever brought so much blessing. Nobody in here has ever given more than he has. And through him, forgiveness is offered to each and every one of us if we will take it. And as our greatest example, we should strive to follow him. And we should serve the Lord and serve others in the same way that he did. That's all I've got for you tonight, guys. All right. Anything before we close out? Nothing. Would anybody like to pray for us? Go ahead, dude.